your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And those of you that were at camp, I, I promised you on the way home, you just might hear that sermon again. And uh, as I was preparing for this morning, I just couldn't have any peace about preaching anything else. So uh, this is actually the message I preached at camp Wednesday night, but it has been modified somewhat. Uh, but... Uh, I want us to start in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, as we read these verses, I mean, I don't believe this is new material for uh, anyone here today. The, the fact that the devil wants to destroy you, that he is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And, of course, if we were just to stop and to think, if you've been around here very long, you could probably come up with some names of people who, at least at this point in their life, seem to have made themselves prey to the devil. The Bible says that we, our only hope of not becoming the prey is to resist steadfast, but there's a way that we have to resist, in the faith. The only protection that you have against the devil is faith. But let me ask you, where does faith come from? Faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. The only protection that you have today is the word of God. We live in a dangerous world, do we not? And as we think about the danger that is in our world, we often overlook the greatest danger is that of what is happening spiritually because often it happens without us even knowing. It's like a cancer. Many times that disease will take root and begin to destroy tissue and begin to spread its poison all throughout your body. And finally, you start feeling pretty ill and you go to the doctor and, and you begin, he begins to run some tests and he says, I think we're going to have to run some more. And, and he comes in and he says, you have six months to live. Happens every day, does it not? Because what is going on, we're not aware of. That's why in the physical realm, they talk to you often and you hear advertisements every week. Get yourself tested. Get screened. When you turn a certain age, you need to get certain tests run. That's good. But I want to tell you, there's no scope. There is no lab test. There is no uh, uh, machine ever invented by mankind that can tell you the progression of the devil's work in your life. There's only one place you can go. It's the Word of God. And this morning I want us to look at the life. In fact, let's just turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I want us to keep in context that the devil, as a roaring lion, is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And I want you to look down with me to verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11. We've often called Hebrews chapter 11 God's hall of faith. This is where he lists men and women that have had great faith and have done things that are... Uh, uh, absolutely beyond human ability and endurance, and it was all because of God's Word working in their lives. In verse 32, he's kind of summing up the first part of the chapter here, the major portion. 
And what shall I say more? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson. Now, how many of you know the life of Samson? And this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to examine the life of Samson. And this was the message uh, Thursday, um, Wednesday night at camp. But I, I want us to, to look at this as a church because, let me tell you, there's not a person here that this message doesn't apply to. I want us to look at the life of Samson. And in order to do that, we're going to have to go back to the book of Judges. The book of Judges, Judges chapter 13, the Bible gives as much time to the life of Samson as it does to any other person in the book of Judges. Only the life of Gideon may be a little bit more than that of Samson. And we start out, and, and we're not going to take time to read all of the passage this morning, but an angel appears to a family of the Danites, and he talks to this woman, and he says, you're going to have a child, but I want to warn you, you're going to have to be very careful. Look at verse 5, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, of course, she was a little perplexed about this and went and told her husband, and her husband prayed, and the angel came back, and he said, Listen, I've already given you the message, and he just repeats what he had already told Manoah's wife. And said, Be careful how you order this child. Now, how many of you are familiar with what the word Nazarite means? It is not Nazarene. Nazarene is someone who lived in the city of Nazareth. A Nazarite is someone that followed the biblical uh, commands in Numbers chapter 6. Usually it was for a period of time, maybe months or, or maybe a year here. It was going to be different. It was going to be an entire life. Of, of this young man, he was not to shave his head. He was not to become unclean for any reason whatsoever. If his father died, he was not allowed to attend the funeral while he was under the vows of a Nazarite. If his mother or his sister died, he was not allowed to attend the funeral because that would make him unclean. He was supposed to live a life of being clean all his life, and he was not allowed to touch anything that was connected with the grape, the vine, or any of the fruit thereof. He was not allowed to eat grape sugar. He was not allowed to drink grape juice. He was not allowed to even uh, take the rinds of the, of the grape and color his lemonade and make it pink. Uh, he was not allowed to touch anything that had anything to do with the grapevine. These were the laws of his life, and by the way, he was to keep all of the laws of the Old Testament as well. But these special requirements were different in his life. Now, I want you to understand something. The devil never takes a break. He is always on the prowl. He is always looking for an opportunity to get in and to destroy, if not your whole life, at least part of it. But I want to remind you about something. When Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. The victory was won. Amen? Before we start looking through the life of Samson and the defeat and destruction that sin brought in his life, I, I want you to understand something. The devil does not 
do anything in the life of the Christian that you don't give him permission to do. We have often criticized our, our government and our military because uh, the phrase that we like to use is they would like to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. Uh, that's what happened in Vietnam. There was no reason to lose the war. Uh, that's what almost happened in Iran, I, Iraq this last time as our senators and our government was all lining up and saying, we, we've got to get out of here, we've got to cut and run, and just a few months later, things were very different. How many times have you played a game or something like that and your opponent was bluffing and you gave up and you lost only to realize that you should have won. That's the way the devil works, my friend. The devil cannot have any victory in your life or in my life unless we seed him, that C-E-D-E, I believe, uh, unless we give him the victory that Jesus Christ has already given us. Does that make sense today? The devil cannot defeat you unless you give him the victory that Jesus has already given you. Do you know that the devil does not have the power to condemn your soul to hell if you sit here unsaved? Because Jesus paid the price for every sin on the cross. It is only when you, in your hardened heart, turn away from the victory that Jesus offers and says, I'll get something on my own, that you cut yourself off from the life that Jesus offers and condemn yourself to eternal death. This is the story of Samson. And as your pastor... I wish it were only the story of Samson. But it's not. It's the story of many, many, many people who have sat in these pews. Who have step by step gave the victory that God wanted them to have. To the devil. I want to look at the progression of how the devil worked to destroy the life of this man named Samson. And I want to remind you that in spite of the destruction and the horrible death that Samson died, he is still listed in Hebrews chapter 11. That tells me that I'm going to see Samson in heaven someday. Don't you believe that people were saved one way in the Old Testament and a different way in the New Testament. If anybody deserved to lose their salvation, was it not Samson? Hello? Are we there? I mean, all the things that he did, didn't he deserve to lose his relationship with God? And yet God lists him in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith. This is a warning. You cannot lose your salvation once you have it, my friend. But you can lose everything else. The devil is seeking to destroy you. Now let me tell you the first place he's going to attack. He's going to attack your purity. How much dirt does it take to make something dirty? It doesn't take very much now, does it? I, I like wearing a white shirt on Sunday morning. My wife hates what I do to white shirts. I'll put an ink pen, one of those click ink pens in my pocket 
and I'm bending over or doing something, and I'll push that button down in there and get a little black dot right there in the bottom of my pocket. You know what? There's a lot of material in a shirt. Don't say amen to that. Uh, but there's, there's just a lot of material in a shirt, and one little black dot right on the front of it will ruin the entire shirt. Isn't that awful? How many of you like the drinking water we have access to here in New York City? Tell you what, it's good water. But do you know they monitor that water for impurities that cannot be seen by the human eye? Because if they allow living microbes to come from the reservoirs upstate into that water supply, literally hundreds of thousands of people could be made very ill or even die. I want to challenge you, it does not take much dirt to make something impure. And the first place the devil attacked Samson was in the purity of his mind. We all know some of the things that Samson did, but let me tell you, he didn't do those flagrant, awful things that he is known for until later in his life. The work had already been done. The destruction had already happened in his mind. The devil wants to rob the purity of your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, casting down what? Imaginations. How many of you would like a tape of every thought that you have thought this past week to be played on a video screen for everyone to see? My hand's not up. There's an awful lot that goes on in the mind. Somebody said, well, the difference between temptation and sin is the second look. Uh, no, it's the second thought. It's what we do with what we see and what we take into our mind. Why do you think the news commentators wants to give every salacious detail of some wicked happening? Why do people want to know those things? It's not because they have any intention of going out and acting like fill in the blank. But I just like to think about it a little bit. The Bible says that we have to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of Christ and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There's a Bible word. It's called concupiscence. How many of you have read that word in the Bible and didn't know how to pronounce it? Uh, uh, didn't know what it means. What concupiscence is, it's a dirty mind. It's a mind that cannot think clearly. It's a mind that is clouded by impure thoughts. And, and I want to challenge you that you put something in your mind, you allow an impure thought in there, does it ever get out? A preacher talked about this one time, and I'm not sure that I disagree with him. I, I don't know that I can say that it's 100% correct, but he claims to have studied and, and talked to doctors who know it. says the human brain is capable and is the greatest recording device known to mankind. Every thought, every deed, every action that you have ever done or participated in is recorded up here. 
The problem is we do not have the ability to reconnect with everything that is in there. But he took it a step further and says, I wonder if when we get to heaven, God can't make all those connections and just push the button and play the tape. Now that's a scary thought, is it not? Your only protection from having every sort of detail that is recorded in your mind being played before all the universe is putting your faith and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ to pay for every sin. If not, God's going to play that tape. And there will be no living human being that will not be convicted by their own thoughts of an eternity separate from God. I want to challenge you that the greatest work the devil does is right up here while nobody's looking. You know, the devil can be working even in a church service like this. Someone might even be thinking as we're talking right now, ah, he's just trying to scare me. Read the book of Jude. I'd rather scare you into heaven than have you go happy into hell. Amen? But the Bible tells us that we're all going to have to stand before God. And the devil attacked Samson first in his purity. Samson was a Nazarite. He was not supposed to make himself unclean for any reason and any purpose. And the first thing that we look at, and let's go to chapter 14 here. And uh, in verse 1, it says, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines and came up and told his father, and his mother, and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. And we say, that's where Samson lost his purity. No, I want you to read down here to verse 4. But his father and mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. This is not where Samson lost his purity. Let me tell you where Samson lost his purity. Go down to verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 5. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Now that he hadn't lost his purity here, God was working in him. Just imagine the picture. Here goes Samson. He's walking down and all of a sudden, right there in front of him is a young lion trying to destroy him. The Bible says that he rent him as he would a kid. Top jaw one hand, bottom jaw the other hand. When Samson was done, there was two pieces of lion laying on the ground. Pretty gruesome, isn't it? Let me tell you, it's not near as bad as the commercials you watched on TV this week. He killed that lion with his bare hands. At camp, I warned all the teens, don't try this at home, but I don't think I need to tell you that. I don't think I have to worry about anybody wanting to attempt that on their own. But here's where Samson lost his purity. Read, the, read verse 8. And after a time he returned to take her, that is his wife, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now let me ask you a question. What right, what reason, what purpose did someone who was a Nazarite have to go look at the dead carcass of a lion? It was an unclean thing. He had no business being there. But he went and he looked and it said there was a honeybee nest a, honey, a group of honeybees had built a hive in the carcass of the lion and there was honey dripping out of the hive over the bones and the remains of the lion. Now let me tell you, that takes months to have happen. 
You talk about seeking him. But what did Samson do? He said, I'm going to get some of that sweetness. Now, doesn't that sound like the way sin works? There's the disgusting, rotting carcass of a lion. And then there's honey dripping out of it. And he says, I'm going to get some. And he did. That's where Samson lost his purity. Because he was willing to touch the unclean carcass of that animal to satisfy his sweet tooth. Does that sound like a serious infraction of God's law? It was enough to destroy his Nazarite vow. But you know what Samson did? He got some more for his parents and he gave it to them and he went right on as if nothing happened. Now that's the way the devil works in our mind. We say, oh, it's just a dirty thought. It was just a, an angry thought. It was just a, a, a vengeful thought. And, and, and uh, Lord, forgive me for that. And we just move on as if nothing had happened. Let me tell you, this was the first step to the destruction of the life of Samson. He allowed the devil to rob the purity of his mind. Guess what happened next? He then began to change his motives, the reasons why he did what he did. Turn the page. Why was Samson attempting to marry this woman? Because he was seeking occasion against the Philistines to deliver Israel from the dominion or the tyranny of the Philistines. Agreed? So what does he do in verse 12? And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you, if ye can certainly declare it me within the seven days of the feast and find it out. Then will I give you thirty sheets and thirty changes of garments, but if ye cannot declare it me, then ye shall give me thirty sheets and thirty changes of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle, that we may hear it. Almost sounds like a New York lottery commercial, doesn't it? Just give us a dollar and buy this card and you could win a million dollars. Here's what it is. Samson was taking the position that God had put him in and use it for personal gain. In Samson's day, a well-to-do person, guess how many changes of clothes they had? One. They had what they were wearing. By the way, if you think that's being poor... Uh, just go back in United States history. My dad was born in 1930. When he was a young man, he got one pair of overalls. And that better last until next year. Because they only went to town once a year. And let me tell you, driving 30 miles in 1935 and 1940 was quite a trip. It took all day to get there and all day to get home. You say, they drive that in half an hour today. Well, the average lifespan of an automobile tire was 20 miles. So a 60-mile trip, you were changing two or three tires. I mean, it was a long and dangerous trip. But it sure beat Conestoga Wagon, let me tell you that. And you couldn't take the whole family on horseback. And so having an automobile was a wonderful thing, but let me tell you, it's not like it was today. A lot of things changed since 1930. If you really want the date, it was 1932, but we won't go there this morning. Samson began to allow his reasoning behind his decision-making process, his motives, to be changed. 
You can do the right things for the wrong reason and you can do the wrong things for the right reason, but it all ends up at the same place. It's called sin. It's giving your victory to the devil. And here's what was going to happen. It wasn't going to be long before Samson, after compromising his purity, and by the way, you don't have to be involved in immorality to be impure. You can give away the purity of your mind seeking for anything that God does not have for you in His Word. People have sold their souls for another dollar bill. It happened here first. Then they began to take the reasons why they were doing what they were doing and it's only a matter of time until your morals are going to be compromised. It's only a matter of time unless you evaluate your life with the Word of God and stop and ask God to turn you around and change what you're thinking. Amen? If you allow it to go on, and that's what happened with Samson, it wasn't long until his morals were compromised. Now, Samson would go on and commit acts of immorality, yes. But before he did any of that, he violated the contract that he had entered into at this wedding feast. He didn't take care of his wife that he had promised to marry. Let me tell you, that's immoral. We have a tendency to think all the worst thoughts, but Samson did go through with the marriage. He did marry this woman, but when his little scheme that he was trying to, to work to, to make himself uh, a, a fairly wealthy man in his day didn't work, he got angry and he just went home and his wife was married to another man that same week. That was the culture and the way the Philistines did things. So he goes back several months later, he's calmed down, he says, well, at least I'll go see my wife. And he says, you don't understand, you violated the contract of the marriage feast, she's been given to one of the men that you called for your friends, now... Samson moves to stage two. He's lost his purity. And he's not going back to get it. The next one is his polity. That's the word politics comes from, same base road. What it means is how you are governed. It's the decision-making process. How many of you have done something and when you're finished, you look at it and say, how could I be so stupid to do that thing? Anybody else ever done that? You say, I just felt like I was on autopilot. I was just being drug along. Well, here's why. You compromise the purity of your mind. You compromise the purity of your motives. You compromise the purity of your morals. And all of a sudden, you're going to find other forces and other things in your life making decisions for you. I wish I had a dollar for every person that came into my office and said, Pastor, I just feel like my whole life's living all around me and I have no control over it. Let me tell you, if you're there, you're stage two of the destruction of the devil in your life. You see, polity is the way that a body is governed. We often talk about church polity in that way. Let me give you three more M's. The first thing that changed in Samson's life was the momentum, the direction his life was flowing. He feels wrong because his wife was taken from him and given to another man. Well, if he had only understood the culture and the way things were and the laws of the land and all of that, he would have understood completely what would have happened when he compromised his moral obligations for his wife and just took off like a crybaby because his plan had been disappointed. 
And so he decides that he's going to finally find occasion against the Philistine. He catches 300 foxes, tails, uh, ties a, uh, a torch between their tails, and sends them into the standing crops of the Philistines and burns them up. Nobody had ever committed an act like that against the Philistines. That was a strike against the heartland. Often the Philistines had come up and destroyed the crops of Israel, and now one man had destroyed vast quantities of the crops of the Philistines. People were going to go hungry in the winter months because of what Samson had done. Hey, Samson got something accomplished, but why did he do it? Because he was seeking revenge. Let me tell you something. God never blesses revenge. When you do something out of a motive of revenge, you're giving ground to the devil. You are training yourself to start making decisions based upon his instruction and not yours. then you're going to begin changing the motives of your life. We'll talk about Esau in a little bit, not much, but it says that Esau sought repentance and he couldn't find it, though he sought it carefully with tears. Here's why. It's because when he looked back on his great sin of selling his birthright and selling his blessing or allowing his blessing to be stolen. He said, but I was starving. There was nothing else I could do. The circumstances demanded. And how many people are hiding behind circumstance today? Saying, I've got to fill in the blank. Listen, the only thing you've got to do is come to Jesus today. The only thing you have to do is stop where you are and put your faith and trust in Him. Nothing else matters or will matter when we stand before God. Our motives come from our heart. What does the world tell us about our heart? Oh, follow your heart. It will always lead you in the right direction. What does the Bible say about your heart? It is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Don't follow your heart. Don't allow your desires to determine what God wants for your life. Let me tell you, we'll always be wrong. You will always settle for something less than what God has before you. Samson then began to please himself with his life. And we get down to chapter 16, and it tells us about Samson went to Gaza, a city of the Philistines, and there he found a woman of no character, a harlot, and he went in. And the Philistines heard that Samson was there. And they went and they hid themselves in the gate of the city and they said, in the morning, when it's light, there'll be 50 of us or 100 of us and one of him. We're going to get him. Well, Samson was one of those guys they just knew what was going on. I mean, he was always one step ahead. I mean, you read the some of the stories. I, I don't I don't like reading novels at all. It's all made up. I like reading real stories. You read some of the real stories of our men and women who served in the silent army during World War II meaning that they were spies, often behind enemy lines. It's amazing the things that went on. Always just that far ahead, because if they ever caught up to you, you died. And boy, Samson, he was like that. 
he woke up at midnight. He goes to the city gate where these guys are hiding. They tell us that that gate was 15, maybe 20 foot high. Two doors of solid brass weighing several tons. And they were anchored well into the masonry of the wall of the city. And he just walks up and rips the gates out of the wall. But he's not done yet. Samson had a little imagination. He puts them up on his shoulders. Now remember, those gates weigh probably about 4,000, 5,000 pounds. <laughs> says, time for the strongest man of the world competition. And he runs 12 miles to the top of the hill near the city of Hebron, well into the land of Israel, and he drops those gates on the top of the hill, and he says, come get them, guys, anytime you want, <laughs> and runs away. You know what's happened to Samson? He got away with it. But did he? No. He was just one step closer to his own destruction. You know what? The devil wants you to get away with it. He wants you to pull out that line a little bit. Do we have any fishermen here? My son wants to be. But you see, certain types of fish you have to get different ways. Anybody ever fish for carp? Now the only fun thing about carp is they fight real hard until they know you got them and then they just curl up in a ball and you reel them in. But here's how you fish for carp. You get something that smells real bad like rotten liver or they call it stink bait. And you put it on the hook and you throw it out there and you anchor your pole real good so the fish can't pull it away when he bites the thing and then you lay down and take a nap. Because here's what that carp will do. He'll just swim up there and he'll and just suck it in his mouth and blow it out. Sometimes 15, 20 minutes before he finally decides that it's safe. And then he takes it. And then you hear the noise of your pole, wake up and reel in the fish. You know, that's how the devil works. We sit there and we play with the bait and we think we're getting away with something like the honey in the lion's carcass. We can put up with the disgusting smell and all the rotten of the flesh and everything to get a little bit of that honey. But here's the most dangerous stage. When you get away with it, your circumstances or the momentum of your life begin making your decisions. Then your motives change. The reasons why you do what you do, Samson began living his life for his own pleasure and what made him feel good and what would satisfy him and he kept getting away with it. And he finally felt like he was the manipulator of the events. Now I want you to go with me to the book of 2 Timothy. Don't worry, I'll, I'll have you out here on time today, I believe. 2 Timothy, chapter 25, and Paul's instructing Timothy, and he's talking about Christians here. It says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his the devil's will. Now here's what happened to Samson. You see, once he felt like he was in control, he was the manipulator of events. He was the one that was making things happen. 
Then he loved a woman in the valley of Sork whose name was Delilah. The trap was set. Samson was standing in the trap. It was just a matter of time until the devil pulled the cord and Samson would be caught. Three different times Delilah tried to entice him and said, tell me where the secret of thy great strength lieth. And he said, well, if you, if you get green widths, if you get green fibers and bind me, I'll be weak as any other man. Read the passage. It said she had men, Philistine soldiers, abiding with her in the chamber. That meant when Samson was gone, there was a group of men living in her personal bedroom with her. Samson was completely blind to the whole thing. Why? Because he was in charge. He'd gotten away with it. You remember when a thousand men came and he killed them all. He did a whole division of army, one on a thousand, and Samson won. Samson was strong. And she would call out, the Philistines are upon thee, Samson. And he went out and the Philistines fled. Paul said it this way. He said, but I keep under, lest when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Samson was a castaway, let me tell you. He played with sin and he lost. After the fourth time, Samson told her the truth. And it says that she brought a man in to shave him and she began to afflict him and his strength went from him. It says when she cried out the fourth time, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. He wist not the Lord had departed from him. The first thing he lost was his eyesight. They gouged out his eyes so that he would never see his enemy again. Sometimes you can go back. God is a God that forgives sin, my friend. But there are often scars that will never heal all the way. Don't go that far. But that wasn't all that happened. Samson lost his freedom, did he not? They bound him in chains. And they took him to a prison house. It said, and they made him to grind meal. Now that was the job of the animals. He was to walk in circles. And we don't know how long this went on, but all day long. He would walk. Let me tell you something. Samson lost all hope, all memory of God's work in his life at this point, did he not? When he lost his eyes. There was not going to be any lasting testimony or monument to Samson's work because his last days were bound in chains by the enemies of God. His life became absolutely meaningless because he was made to grind meal like a common animal. And finally the day would come when they would bring him into the temple of their, Dagon, their god Dagon. And they would praise Dagon for having delivered Samson into their hands. Now let me ask you, who delivered Samson into the hands of the Philistines? Samson did, didn't he? One step at a time. He could have gone back and offered the sacrifices when he touched the dead carcass of that lion. But he didn't. He kept going. 
He could have realized when God disappointed his plan to gain the riches at his wedding that maybe God didn't want him to have the possessions of this world and he could have turned back, but he didn't. And he compromised his morals. Now circumstance changed his momentum. Now his motives began to be to please himself instead of God. Then he thought he was the one that was in control. And finally, the last moments he lived, he prayed to God and he says, let me have one more opportunity to destroy the Philistines. Give me my strength to pull down the temple of Dagon. And it says he bowed with all of his might. And the two pillars upon which the house stood, that little boy had put in his hands, and the lords of the Philistines began to feel a rumble and a shake, and they looked as that man pulled the supports out from under the building. Samson killed more Philistines in his death than in his life. But you know who I feel sorry for in this whole thing? Samson's parents had to come down to that temple and picked through the debris and the bodies of the Philistines till they found Samson and then take his remains back home for burial. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now I want to ask you today, could we take a few moments and just look at where we are in this progression? Have you lost the purity of your mind? You can't erase those thoughts that are there. But here's what you can do. You can start pouring in enough Bible that it drowns them out. Why do you think the young people of this day and have ages past like loud music. Because you don't have to think when it boom, 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 boom. You can't think. You just let life happen to you, do you not? What, what's going to happen is going to happen. Let me tell you, that's right where the devil wants you, my friend. You pour in enough word of God, and let me tell you, you won't need loud music to drown out your pain. God's word will drown out the sin in your life. Amen? Look what it says here. We're still in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're just about done. It says that the job of the pastor, the job... Uh, of the pastor is to instruct those that oppose themselves if peradventure God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Let me tell you, the first thing you need to do is you've got to get under the Word of God. That's what preaching is all about. That's why I keep talking to you about your daily Bible reading schedule. If you are concerned about your soul, you've got to saturate yourself with the Word of God it is your only hope. I can't tell you how many people have come and said, Well, Pastor, I, I'm kind of messed up. I stopped reading my Bible, and then I stopped attending church faithful, and then I stopped, and now I'm in a mess. It's the way the devil works. You want God to do his work, get under the word of God. It says, peradventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the faith, of the truth, I'm sorry. You have to understand that only God gives repentance. But he'll only give it to those who will come and acknowledge the truth that is in his word. You say, I just can't wrap my head around all this stuff that the Bible teaches. Well... Start with your personal sin before a holy God. And let God take care of the rest.
Amen? But here's the most difficult part of this whole thing. Look with me in that last verse there. Verse 26. It says that they, not the preacher, not the church, not your mother that loves you, not your father that prays for you, it says that they, the individual that has opposed himself, that is in need of God's repentance, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Let me tell you, your life is either in God's will or in the devil's will. It cannot be anywhere else. You're either surrendering your life to God and asking Him for His victory that He won on the cross. Or you're surrendering that victory to the devil and just waiting until He pulls the ripcord and you're trapped. Could we this morning take the next few moments Samson tells us you do not have to be unsaved to be taken captive by the devil. Would you look for your life in this progression? Where are you? I would hope every one of us could look and say, I'm not there at all. I'm still walking with the Lord every day, every moment of the way. But if you're a human being, your adversary is walking about seeking whom he may devour. Have you given the devil a foothold this week? You had better get rid of it. better get that word of God. If you're here today and you're not saved, let me explain something to you. You are just a victim waiting to become a captive. Oh, the devil's not interested right now. And you'll get away with it maybe for a very long time. But you're still just as much of a captive today as you will be 20 years from now. Your only protection is the word of God and the victory that Jesus has won on the cross. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Just simply ask this, would there be anyone here today that say, Preacher, I'm not sure about my salvation. Would you pray for me now? Me praying for you does not get you saved. But it is a way that as no one is looking around that would allow you to give a testimony to the Lord that my soul is in need of help from God and I'm concerned about that. Would there be anyone who would just simply slip up a hand this morning say, pray for me, preacher. I'm not sure about my salvation. Anyone at all. The next is simply this. How many would say, pastor, I saw myself somewhere in this progression of the devil's work in Samson's life, and I'm concerned about my life as a Christian I don't want to become a casualty. Would you pray for me, preacher? Who would just slip up a hand and say, pray for me, pastor? I see myself somewhere in that progression. Hands all over the auditorium. Anyone else this morning before we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. You saw the hands that were raised saying, I know I'm saved, but, but I've seen myself somewhere in this story and Lord, this is the reason why these stories are in here. So that we could look into the mirror of your word and see ourselves. 
Lord, our prayer is, is for grace today to stop. To turn around. And to come back to Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful that you forgive sin. Lord, let us never presume upon your grace. But as the Holy Spirit convicts us, let us surrender right then and right there the things that you have brought to our heart. Lord, I pray that none of those that raised their hands today would leave here headed in the direction they came. But they would turn around and let you begin to do that work to protect them from the snare that the devil has laid. Lord, we ask for repentance today. Not just an emotional thing, but a change in direction, a change in motivation, a change in our life completely, that we may be going the direction that you would have us to go. We pray that you would work during this time of invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz comes and leads us 507.